G'day, and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark, and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start, but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away, or even plan to hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos, along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. Your phone's listening. My, my phone is listening. And so is everyone listening. else. That's right. What's that one? It's Razor I'm listening. Good evening, gents. How are you going to this evening? Good job. Uh, very well, sir. Thank you very much. How is yourself? Not too bad, thank you. Apologies for not being on the last week's podcast. The rumor is that you were caught in the wire. I was caught cutting the wire. That's probably what you want to say. No, no, in the wire, like halfway through. Of course. <laughs> That's right. Cut in. That was that was. was it? That rumor did float around so for the podcast. How about? Hmm. How are you going in? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, it did. <laughs> did it really? Yeah, yeah. I got delays again. I can't have delays again. That's not fair. We did. Oh, we get We did start that rumor. So while he's had delaying, did you? Everyone get one of these? Yes, I got one of them cool, from hey. my friends at Zolio. Yeah. A, a Christmas card from the lovely people at Zolio. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Nothing for Ian me. Ian didn't get, get one by the looks of it. Well, I don't know. He's frozen in time. Oh, yeah. You're giving me shit about Zolio not sending me a Christmas card. I'm going to have to go check the mail. But I do get mail here because Beretta sent me these beautiful Steiner predator lrf binos just before the trip i got notification they were shipping from melbourne on wednesday afternoon and they arrived at my house at lunchtime on thursday now i'm still trying to figure out how freight how truck drivers drive that fast from melbourne so must have gone by air had to have mm. so thank you but I still moved he has moved yes. I'm no longer i'm on my my work my no no field. what i mean is on the screen you've moved oh huh. John is usually on that side. That's true. And you're usually on that side. Don't you rearrange your Well, no, but that's what it usually pops up with. It seems it follows the same pattern every time. You're on a different computer. You're on a different different position. Very it's very weird. Anyway, um, if, if if you're still watching us, uh, we will probably this might be the third <laughs> intro you've seen tonight, which is a bit bizarre. We've that's had right. I've, I've had the well, usual well, tech problems of country internet. So anywho, we're here. Hi guys, you want to live? You want to live out in the sticks? I do. I really do. Yeah. I'm not sure if we already said this because um, I don't know where we're at, but we got <laughs> Christmas card from. Oh yes, Zolio today. Well, so, Mark, you and I, you and I got Christmas cards from Zolio. The important ones did, mm. Ooh. and those ones without good internet. If you hold for three minutes, I'll run out to the mailbox oh, to what? see if I can. If you like, me and John can talk amongst ourselves. It'd be a bit embarrassing I got, if I didn't get one. Uh, oh. You got an Alton Goods. It's got a little fire in it. Look it's an Alton guys. Goods. That's it. You are there, too. That's exactly right. Exactly oh, right. That's, that's what you a little fire. Yeah. Well, for it's those pretty, that are listening yeah, along, cool. yeah. we've got a little uh, Alton Goods uh, little fire box, I guess you'd call it, and Mark stuffed yeah. it full of pretend they candles that are flashing like They fire. call it like a. They call it a twig 
firebox or something like that. Basically, it's a little cooker, so you can uh, it's you can put a little pot on top of it. The idea is you burn you burn twigs and sticks in it. It's, it's um you know very small. For beekeeping, it's um titanium though. Titanium and titanium, and I don't think it's made out of ex-Russian subs. I don't know what kind of titanium <laughs> it is, but it's titanium, hmm. and it's a flat Super pack. Hot. So you know, it all comes apart. It fits hmm. into literally a flat pack. Wow! Um, so I, I got I look. I just went, yeah, that's a trinket that I could have. Um, yeah. It's really noisy though. That's the trouble. So if you're hunting, I would you know be mindful about setting it up before you get ready because there's. It's a crinkling and crinkling and alum, you know, uh, metal and metal sounds. But well, once you've shot the deer and you want to you want to cook a backstrap well, right. on something, yeah, that, that, that enjoy the be, moment. That might be like, what are those like Japanese grills that you get the yeah. Um, yeah. where you you like the, the, where you sear a little piece of meat on the yeah, grill? Yeah, yeah, I think I've always wanted to do so, it. One of the reasons one of the reasons I got it was I was reading about it and the guy said he uses it like as a little you know, a heater when he's when he's and I thought, you know what, I'm out with a boy and it's we're down at Nundle or somewhere like that and it's winter. Wouldn't be bad, pull that out of the pack in the afternoon when you're sitting there and it's bloody freezing cold and that's if you can find anything dry to burn. Well, it burns all twigs, and you, I just take a little fire lighter with me and it put it in there, and it goes in. You can see it's reflecting the tire glasses at the moment. The little... And it should. Well, yeah, maybe a maybe <laughs> a bottle of a very small bike. But there it is. I do like I like the effort you've gone Elton to for uh, your Christmas your Christmas lights and your Elson goods. Makes it look very wonderful. festive. Yeah, can That's you um it. very it. festive? Yeah. Well, we can play the How Long Will Those Lights Last game again. No, those things – actually, no, well, they, they're two years old, those lights, so they do last a long time. They admittedly don't get turned on all that often, but they bought those mm. little Christmas candles some years ago. That's not an O-light, is it? No, it's not an O-light. I do no. have one of those. Right mm, here. here we go. Well, oh, good. Well, I do have one no, It is good stuff. Yeah, on the trip over the weekend, uh, one of the fellas had I, a – I am not – I am not – I am not – I'm not quite there with them yet. I'm not 100 percent sold. No. Yeah. So let me. I'll tell you a story. I had. Um, okay. I had the Elton Goods um, insulated mattress. Uh, in fact, I think I'd spoken about this on a previous podcast. I went to Savoon. It was in winter. I went by myself. I backpack hiked in. Mm. Blew up my mattress. It went down. I blew it up. It went down. It was like had a hole in it, and I had a three very cold nights on the ground. Um, the good thing about the Elton Goods team is I rang them and told them about my woes and they sent me a new one and asked me to hack the other one into pieces. So um, I now have tried to re-sew the thing back together after hacking it apart to make a cushion. But apparently my sewing is not airtight oh, and yeah. I failed miserably, so the whole thing's in the bin. Um, but other than that, I then took the replacement one up to the Territory and we slept on that gravel pad, Jono, and we moved the tents away from the, mm -hmm. the lagoon. Um, so we're on a bit of a gravel pad. So it was a yeah, pretty yes. rough place. Um, it was fine. It lasted. It was good. And I've got, um, what have I got of theirs? I've also got their ultralight tent set up, um, their bug net set up, their, you know, 
the 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 ground tarp that's got little pop up sides so that it it won't get water coming in if it rains. Yeah, ground up sides. I really like the duvet, but oh, it's expensive. So I'm probably not going to get the duvet. Scarily expensive. Yeah, can't believe it compared to all that new one they brought out, isn't it? Yeah, the little cocoon duvet. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, I've got the top. But I haven't actually used the it. That's great. I, think I love the top. I think I'm going to sleep under that at the territory. Are you? I'm going to take that to the territory next year, hey. and then I'm going to set my yeah. But I'm just, I'm not going to sleep under that because of the crocs and the bug. But I'm going to set my <laughs> tent underneath. Oh, not yeah. that, the tent the crocs are nice shady area where they can wait for you. Wrapped <laughs> in the tent. But I'm going to put my tent under the top because surprisingly we did have a bit of dew in the territory. We did. I don't know how, but and we were sleeping with the. Yeah. The, the, oh, the so you're oh, so you're gonna use your your, your inner fly and then have it. Correct, and then I can store my stuff under that because all I had was the tent, and we didn't put the covers on the tent because it was so freaking hot. Yeah. Um, but there was a bit of dew, so I'm gonna put the. Oh, I actually did the normal tent thing in the territory. Mm. Yeah. I was just too hot. I needed the airflow. Yeah. So yeah well, I, I think I'm gonna put the top. Put the top up and then put my uh, my yeah, tent underneath. Not a bad so. idea. Hmm. I'll play around with that one because I'll I'll be taking. Well, I'm going to take the my two man or three technically my three man tent this next time. I had the one man and that was the little hot box coffin type of you know <laughs> hungy burning hungy. Yeah, so in there sweating like a demon. Be more humid if we're going two weeks later as well. Yeah, yeah, but they did. But say then again, the, you know, they did say the build up came early last year. Mm. So you know, you know, as long as it's not raining, that's as long as we missed the wet. That's the most important thing. Mm. Yep, agreed. So during, funny news uh, item. There was a second. I said Fitbit. We talked about in the pre-chat as a funny thing that's going on. Oh yeah. On. Mm. What was that, Jono? They've been they've been sued again. They have been sued. The ACCC are not happy with Fitbit for what mock misleading customers. Yeah, something about the the you got to, uh, there was something around if you didn't return it, you got to basically they're saying if you don't you know if there's something wrong, you got to return it within a certain um, time frame. And it would appear that Fitbit was not being wholly um, honest in that time frame. So they were you get you know they were. Discounting people's warranty claims or something like that, which sounds really weird, but the fine was for eleven million dollars. And well, fifty-eight. What was it? Fifty-eight. Oh, it was in the twenties. Well, just let me check. I thought it was. Yeah, it was eleven million for fifty-eight people at an average of one hundred eighty-nine thousand six hundred fifty-five dollars. That's a ridiculous fine. I mean, surely there are other people there caught yeah. up in it. It was a, yeah. it was eleven million bucks, um, and it was uh, the federal court issued the penalty against a U.S. firm on Tuesday after admitted making false, misleading, or deceptive claims to fifty-eight customers between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty. So, so that's one hundred eighty-nine thousand six hundred fifty-five dollars per person. Over, and remember that's only like um, you know that's what. Uh, 29 people a year. No, actually, less than that because 2020 to 2022. Um, in several cases, Fitbit representatives claim customers only had 45 days to return a faulty device. Obviously, that's not the case. And, it's mm, just, and the weird thing, it's the second case brought against them. 
they had a warrant mm -hmm. issue back back in 2018. There you go. Kooky. Fitbit's still a thing. I don't know. I, 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 I completely missed the, the, the wave of excitement around Fitbit. I must, I must have been looking the other direction. It passed me by. So there, there is. That's, that is weird. So, so in other words, don't, don't uh, mislead customers. Don't mislead customers. So that's an interesting segue because someone's reached out to us and we actually didn't mislead them. Um, we gave them some uh, information and they were very, very complimentary in getting back to us. But what they did ask, um, and it was a guy by the name of Ibrahim, asked about, you know, what kind of deer he should shoot in regards mm. and after listening to some podcasts. And it was an interesting uh so we, Ian and I and Ibrahim had a converse, you know, an online conversation about it, and it really stimulated, you know, a few of the ideas around, especially public land hunting, because this guy is going to pub, hunt public land and about, um, you know, the ethics of taking an animal. And we've spoken about that briefly in the past, or maybe not briefly. We've spoken about it past, but I think it was he made some interesting points, and one of the things was. He was almost too worried to shoot a deer because he'd been told, you know, don't shoot, you know, only shoot mature stags and things like that. So, you know, he's kind of going, holy moly, how do I, you know, if I don't see a mature stag? And Ian made a really good point about when you shoot in state forests, if you're going to be only shooting mature stags, then you're going to be saving a lot of money on ammo because there's a very good chance that you might never ever see a mature stag. Um, and I and he Ibrahim made made a comment or made reference to a comment I made before, which I, I believe that if you're hunting public land and you're a newbie and you see a deer, by all means take it because that's the only way you build knowledge, skill, and confidence to make those kind of decisions about big stags later on down the down the journey of your hunting you got to start somewhere you can't you can't not start by saying well I can't shoot this or I can't shoot that and obviously with we're talking within the legalities of shooting things you know with in an ethical manner but in terms of the animal itself um, I see no reason you know, that a, a guy starting out or anyone, in fact, doesn't. If you want to shoot for meat, then shoot for meat, and don't worry about things like that. Um, I can't, I can't see that as a as a um, an ethical problem. I, I think it's. Uh, and um, Peter Ryan once said to me, you know, because I had a, a similar conversation with um, after a post I made years ago. People were saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't have shot that deer because of potential. And I remember Peter Ryan said, yeah, potential, potential dinner. Uh, I really like yeah. that one. Um, and, and you were making a comment in about about some red deer that you saw. Yeah, and if I remember you know, we'll, correctly. Cover, we'll cover some of that um, uh, shortly. But I think the comment that I made was, um, if you're new, that's what you're saying a second ago, if you're new and you come across a deer, uh, probably the only animal that I would be hesitant shooting on a meat hunt uh, is you know one that's got a young fawn with it that's reliant on the mother. So if you can identify yeah, at 150 meters that that's a mature stag that's uh, not stag a mature hind or doe that's lactating, um, 
like you you're probably not a new hunter so a, a new hunter's not going to know that um that they may know that they should try and look for it but they're probably not going to be able to understand the size difference and maturity features and things like that hmm. um, and i i would be i mean you've got to do everything necessary to follow up on that fawn if you realize that you've done that so i would try not to ch chase that specific animal at that specific time of the year and we're talking november december january after that 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 young mm. fawn is likely to be self-sufficient sure it's going to still be small it's probably going to be taken out by a dog it's not going to starve to death i don't think after it's three to four months old um correct me if i'm wrong guys but um i know certainly you can wean lambs really young if you need to um you know they may not get the same nourishment but you know they're not going to starve and to death a horrible death so you should steer away from that but 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 if you if you walk upon a, a stag that's in velvet you know soft velvet a lot of people say don't shoot them in velvet you know leave them until they're proper trophies that you know at least hard velvet where you can inject hard antler. The, yeah. you know hard, hard antler, sorry, where you can inject the you know the chemical in it to keep the you know that last stage of velvet or at least you know antler like we do in the raw mm. um people say don't shoot them in velvet but it's still meat and it's still public land and it's still a deer mm. and that's your purpose now if you've never seen a deer before and it walks in front of you it could be the only deer you see in three trips so i don't think that you should hold back on that if that is your purpose for the hunt to take your first deer you don't need to be selective if you've shot five six seven ten deer in your life or you've got you know a full freezer already yeah be selective for sure but um i don't think new hunters need to be that concerned about it i think they should take their opportunities when they're presented oh, yeah i think one of the the problems is is with so many things it kind of goes to the you know to the boundaries of reason oh you know that if you don't shoot that because it's going to you know potentially going to be this or it's going to potentially be that but the trouble is with that whole argument is ultimately you're you're not participating you're hmm. just looking Yep. So you can't expect that person then to – you can't – well, what you can't do is you can't say to someone, oh, don't shoot this deer, don't shoot that deer, and then expect them to be an experienced hunter because what you're saying, you know, you, you're limiting their opportunities to gain experience. Um, and I think that's really important. So, you know, taking that deer, taking – and not just the first deer, but for a couple of years taking deer – is really really important for your development as a as a hunter you know you've got to yeah. do it you can't just kind of look at pictures at this stuff you've got to do it and um i mean i don't like hunting taking deer with um in in velvet i just don't like it um but you know that's just me in that sense and like i i you know he asked well you know what's the best animal to take from a meat point of view well that's an interesting question as well because a lot of theory, and I, I'm one, I, and I actually um, like the theory, is that probably the best meat animal is a young spiker. And the reason why he's a young spiker is, one, you know he's young. Mm. How do you know he's young? Because the, the antlers tell you that he's young. Mm. Two, mm. a male is, in terms of, you know, meat on the hoof, males are always better than females. Yeah. Bigger. Well, generally, generally, bigger generally well. you know, they're, generally they're a bigger animal. So you mm. shoot that one, you get more... You know, you get more meat. So, you know, you from a meat point of view, shooting a young spiker means you get a young animal, so the meat quality is going to be better. 
you get a bigger animal because males are generally bigger than females. I mean, there's obviously differences. We're talking about a yearling male and a, and a full-grown mature, you know, hind or, or doe. There, obviously, there's differences there, but generally the males are bigger. So, and it's not going to likely, and at this time of year, you know it's not going to be carrying anything unless, yeah. of course, it identifies as a do you, you know, doe. <laughs> yeah. Do you think but, so? There's that. Do you think that uh, the meat quality is better, worse, or the same between the same age of animal, male or female, a yearling male versus yearling female? Did you I think you said okay. the meat quality is better? Is 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 that? I don't know if I heard you right or not. But I'm curious what your thoughts were. I don't know if the, I know if the meat quality is better, but well, more to, make, to me, the quality was about more about age rather than sex. Sure. In, I think you can yeah, you can pretty much guarantee the age of a spiker. Well, that's it. That, that's the thing. Yeah, With yeah. a spiker, you can you can look at a spiker and go, oh, I know how that old that deer is. So yeah. from a new from a new hunter point of view, you see mm. a spiker, you immediately know, okay, that deer is in a certain age range. You could see a hind or a doe, and unless you get a good look at it and you you understand about aging a deer. You might go, is that a two-year-old deer or is that a five-year-old deer? I don't know. Um, but with the spiker, it kind of eliminates the guesswork. It goes, this is how old I am. Look mm. at these things. Yeah, but but I think if you've got a, a hind and a, and, a, and a stag or a buck at the same age, I don't think you could really discern between no. quality. Quantity, yes, but not quality. No. Sure. But you, so the quality would be associated just with the age of the animal rather than the gender Correct. of the animal. Though I I reckon that nannies are better than billies uh, again, so a, a nanny a younger nanny is I think a better eater than a bit than a younger billy, and that's only just I think so. Mm. Well, I would and agree. I, and I, I, mean, I, I, I can't I can't give you the scientific reason why, but I just find, have found that they're a better meat. For me, off for me, I find with the billies, and it doesn't matter if it's a really big billy or a younger billy it's more around for me the um the smell that comes off the animal yeah. because for instance on the slam i shot a young billy and he was a youngster small billy but he was having a good sniff around the nannies and he was he had pissed all over himself and he had stunk and that just saturates for me the, the smell of the meat although it doesn't come in direct contact with the meat for me it taints it i just get the smell of billy where Rohan shot a nice nanny that was there, no smell whatsoever. Yeah. And for me, that's that. It's just, it just smelled like a better quality animal. Um, so I would actually agree with that. Yeah. So I've just found that. Sorry, Marco. And look, I mean, it, it is really difficult. And I, so, like, for instance, when I was in England and we were pitching shooting, you know, Obviously, if you're a you know an, an, a pigeon expert, you can tell the difference between a you know a house pigeon and stuff like that. But to me, basically, they're what we call a pigeon, you know. And you, we shot a heap of them, and we breasted them all, and there was a significant difference between those breasts um, of birds. I didn't, I, and I, I, you know, we breasted them and I cooked them. So I didn't take notice at the time which one came from what, but you could tell that there was a significant difference in very similar, what were very similar to me anyway, very similar looking animals 
type of bird, very similar size and all that based um, and texture and a whole lot. So yeah, there is there is obviously differences, but I, I you know there's no way I could say oh that one's going to taste good, that one isn't. So well, mm. when it comes to deer, there is certainly a difference in the quality of the meat. Mm. So I hunted the Murray Valley a few years ago, and I shot a really old hind, and with that hind was a, a I think it was a yearling. And I shot that, that, that the hind was this dark red, really, really rich um, meat. And this, this, the yearling was actually this very, very light colored meat. So you can certainly tell the difference mm, in, in the meat. Yeah. So between a young animal and an old animal on a deer, there's a very, very big difference in meat quality. And the taste was different. The smell was different. Everything was different. Still tasty, but very, very different. Hmm. What do you, I mean, what do you same, think? Same with the lamb, hogget and mutton. You know, the the flavor gets stronger, it gets richer. As it gets as it gets older, it gets darker, it gets richer. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And and you know, that just comes down to Why the not... type of meat you like. But I, I also think there's another uh, another interesting side subject to this. Um and can't remember which one of the fellows on the weekend brought the subject up, but I've thought about it for quite some time. And that was uh even though I had I've been brought up eating game meats, you know, dad used to shoot uh, uncles used to shoot so I was used to being oh what's this oh that's venison or oh, what's this it's something else and that was okay when I first started to hunt and shoot my own animals it took me quite a while to be able to eat it um, and I thought oh it was, just, it was just my brain at work here and it was because I associated the smell of gutting the animal the warmth of the smell and all of that sort of stuff I associated that with the meat for quite some time after taking four, five, six animals. Um, and it was the same, and I got used to it. After time, it was fine. I got used to it. Uh, and, you know, it, it doesn't impact me at all anymore. But I shot it. Uh, last year, I shot a couple of hares on the property. And the warm, rich smell of that hare when I gutted it was a smell I couldn't get out of my brain when I went to eat it. And I was sort of like a bit funny about eating it. It was a bit weird. Um, the, one of the guys on the, on the weekend, raised the same thing. They said that they had this association with smell going um, with the meat that they were trying to cook after they took it home. Now, I don't know if you guys have experienced that at all. Certainly something that, that, that I did in the early days, but bringing it back to which animals should you shoot, you know, if those are mental things that more that, that people have beyond me and my couple of experiences, um, taking an animal that potentially isn't that stinky billy that smells like piss so that you don't want to touch it it's worth considering what you're starting with to a point so that it's easier on the palate, I guess, when you eat it or easier to associate it with a, with a, a more pleasant smell and experience. So um, anyway, just something I thought I'd mention. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, certainly I've, I've known a number of people over the years who, 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 who have been uncomfortable with the butchering process and I, and I always felt it was because of that, you know, that smell. And uh, and the fact that that thing's you know hot when you're touching it, and, yeah, and that that might very well be you know a driving factor from one thing that I've, I've been thinking about since that conversation with Ibrahim is it's also interesting how we talk when we talk about these these questions of ethics. We're talking about deer, yeah. We don't apply them to other animals. We don't apply this to mm. pigs. You, you know, stack them, wag them, blast them. <laughs> you know. So it's actually, it's really strange or not strange, but it's interesting how we apply this 
idea of, you know, potential and all these things to deer, but we don't apply them to other animals. And I know that there's a, you know, that well, deer are a game animal, as it were, and pigs are just pests. Well, that's only here, you know. There's other places in the world where they um, value a boar, you know, as much, if not more, than a deer. You know, for them yeah, in Europe, yeah it's, yeah, it's the opposite. You know, deer. You know, yeah, there's lots of deer here, but you know, you might chance a huge, you know, a big boar. You know, and how exciting that is. So it's, it's quite interesting. And I mean, and then you get, you know, all the various types of goats that people hunt all over the world. Hmm. Um, even you know what we call feral goats. You know, they they have a different approach of how to hunt them, and as opposed to you know is the is the you know the standard practice of just you know bashing them and that's it. They're just goats. So I think that's that's worth considering too. Where those what are the boundaries of your ethics? What are they? Why do they apply to deer, but maybe not pigs and maybe not goats? Yeah, well, I um, rightly or wrongly, yeah. probably wrongly, um, you know, I've, I've I've often said that goats are a great training animal. You know, they're a great animal to go and learn how to hunt with, um, you know, before you unleash yourself on deer, you know, learn to hunt with goats because they're just goats. Um, the boundaries don't change in terms of, you know, um, treating the animal and, and, and trying to, you know, dispatch it quickly and all of those sorts of things. I don't think that changes for me personally anyway between a pig and a goat and a deer. But um, I certainly um, treat deer with a, a higher, for me, a higher value animal um, than pigs and goats. Mm. Just, I don't know, maybe there's something royal about them. They're the pinnacle but everyone's of different on hunting that. here. Yeah. Oh, everyone is well, different. More goats, more goats eaten in the world than any other meat. So it's the most... Yeah, because it's easier to meat. get. Because they're dumb. Chevron, I think they're called. Chevron. Yeah, I think that's yeah. because... And it can live anywhere. That's it. And it can live that's anywhere. Right. That, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. goat is chevron, is, the, is what we call Sh goat. And that's chevron. Right. It's, I think it's... Yeah, Chevron, as in yeah. um, S uh, C H E V O R O N, I suppose. Chevron. Yeah. Um. Uh. So, I think yeah, it's the most um, most well, widely well, eaten, uh, you know, mammal. I think the most commonly eaten thing is some kind of fish, but but certainly um, yeah, the goat the goat meat is and you know there's and there's you know we in Australia we have boom and busts of goat industries that pop up and then they disappear again and things like that but certainly i mean it's interesting you know that you you if you saw a goat you might go no one would say well well, don't shoot that one past, you know, there's potential there type of thing. Or, well, the billies they do. So, well, not even the 35-inch Yeah, 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 like yeah. Oh, potential there, yeah. It's, well, <laughs> I, I've not, I have passed up plenty of goats, the yeah. reason, but the reason I've passed them up is not because of potential, it's because I didn't want to fire a shot on an animal from that particular angle, and I didn't want to do that because it just, it just kills it to, for the sake of killing it, so I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, I've passed up billies but, for the sake um, of wanting to shoot two animals only, and um, wanting to take nannies rather than stinky billies. And I saw a pretty good quality yeah. um, billy in Severn on my first day in on one trip, uh, and I left it because it would have been an absolute cracker of a bow hunt trophy. Whereas for me, it was like I was two minutes into the hunt and he just walked in front of me. So I thought, well, two boys coming up tomorrow, come to join the camp, I'll leave it. Hopefully he'll be still around. Um, different reason, I guess. But I, yeah. I'd chase the female goats for meat, to John's point, any day. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, leave the bellies alone if you're going for meat, in my view. Mm. But yep. it's not dissimilar to hunting deer in the raw or the rut, the, the, the bucks or the stags. They yeah. piss in everywhere and rub themselves and Don't they stink. They do stink. They, they lose do. so much Different quality. Stink. It's not. Oh, I do. think belly stink is freaking rank. Well, belly's, belly belly's stink different. is weird. Yeah, yeah it is. But it, it yeah. is it just, it's a stink. You might, yeah. you might, you know, you might poetically describe deer as a musky smell, but Billy is just a yeah. yeah, but if you if you're looking specifically for meat, you're not going to be hunting stags in the raw. No, then it's not the time. No, to hunt. it's actually the, like, they're the, probably the, gonna, at the worst. And in fact, still, as the yeah, war goes on, the meat quality tanks yeah, considerably. But you could you still pick up any, a good quality stag any, at the any of the raw. is going to taste fine. Oh, I, I shot that double five, the one that you can see literally right there. There we go. That guy. This year, and he, the mute on that was beautiful. It was I think absolutely how did beautiful. you cook it, though? Because um, then this and, all comes down to cooking at the end. You could throw a shoulder in the oven, completely butcher it, but it could be off a stag or a, or a hind. It wouldn't matter. If you can't cook it, you're going to stuff it. Venison's not forgiving. Or that. Yeah. I mean, that one, I, I had to pack it out. Um, I literally took the best cuts. Um, I took the back leg, the back legs, the back straps, and that was it. I regret doing that because it was actually such beautiful eating. Um, but then I shot a stag in the raw two years before, and the meat was just really smelly and stinky and mm. wasn't the best eating quality. And I took that whole carcass. So you really don't know what you're going to get. I think if you're hunting the raw or the rut, you're kind of not focused on meat. You're focused on the trophy first and the experience. Um, the yeah. meat's a, a bonus if it's in good quality. Um, but you've really got to assess that animal when you do it. Um, when, when you take it, and I mean, if you're if you know if you're hunting the raw, um, you you also get in that weird situation. Whereas if you don't see the stag you want, you still want to get meat, then you make a decision on which one's not going to make it through the raw. And so last year, that's what I did with a um. There was this. It's it's actually the, the heads in my front yard. Actually, it's one of my front yard ornaments. Um, it was just this really ugly. Bush double three head, and I went, that's the dude. Mm. You're not making it till next year, buddy. And there's an interesting, you know, there's a real quandary around that because, you know, um, the the flow-on effect of that is 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 almost immeasurable, you know. So, so that deer was shot, so those genes are now out of the pool. So what does that all mean? And, you know, and, and the flow-on effects are – and since, you know, I didn't take every scrap of animal. Something ate that, and what ate that, and what 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 happened from um, from that? What was the byproduct of something eating that? Um, what is the byproduct of all the stags that I didn't kill? So by taking out that one, you go okay. You've removed that. You know, and we say often say that. Well, you know, it's a cull stag. This is uh, I, I think about this often. People say, kill that one, it's a cull stag. Okay, so what you're saying, I'm removing that one from the gene pool. So, you know, that one's but out. There needs to be there needs to be criteria to determine a cull That's stag. That's right, or most stag. definitely. But even if one of those criteria is, if you think about it like, oh, I've, I've shot 10%, well, that means there's 90% of them that are still there. So what does that 10% have on that 90%? Does, does, that, does that, you know, by removing something, does that necessarily mean things will improve no don't know well, depends well he's probably right. still put using. his genetics out there before you shot him 
you've removed well, him maybe from running he more. He has or he has. We don't know. Um, that's right. But, so there's. It, I think it, it's never so clear as just saying, "Don't shoot big ones," or you know, what do they? You know, they say, "Yeah, something about let them go, let them grow, and things like that." That's a great line. You know, it's a it's a good it's a good line, line. But you but, need to but... you need to analyze the genetics that are going on because I mean, you might shoot something. You know, a double three that could never be more than a double three, mm. and he might be a sh- shitty head. But you, know, um, but you could shoot a double three that could become a double love, six. Yeah, you know, and that, the whole herd management thing is such a great subject to talk about when you've got the ability to herd manage. We're talking about state forest hunting a lot yeah. here, mm. and you know, you don't you don't get to manage that herd. You've got a assess what's in front of no, you on the no. day. Um, you know, you've got another 50 hunters that run in behind you. Not to say that you should shoot everything that moves because, you know, otherwise somebody else is going to do it for you. But, um, you know, the whole, what, what I was just saying a second ago, you but shoot... That's pretty much... That's pretty much a re- re- that's pretty much a reality, though. If you don't shoot it, somebody else will. That's you're right. Here. That, yeah. that's... And it's in state forest. That's yeah, pretty yeah, much yeah. what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Shoot. The only way yeah, you're going exactly right. yeah. to get to see, uh, you know, a stag multiple times... Uh, is if you're well and truly off the beaten track in places that most people just don't want to go. You know, if it's going to be one of those farm fruit, farm fruit mm. stags that everyone stacks up along the fence over the over the year, you know, he's, he doesn't have high hopes of that guy being around next year. But mm. um, to the genetic point, you know, Mark, you know, we were just saying, you know, you take the cull out, he won't be spreading any more of his genetics. He may have offloaded some already. Sure, he may not have even been a cull. You know, he may have damaged That's himself right. in, yep. you know, in antler growth and People's up mm-hmm. to Carl Stag, but next year it could be brilliant. Who knows? Um, you don't really know the story behind mm-hmm. it until, I guess, after you've shot it and you can assess that nothing's broken and it really is just a munter. Um, but on the, the, the other side mm-hmm. of that, you know, that whole um, let them go, let them grow statement, like, I think it's a great term as well, but um, that guy, if he's, like, he's a pretty good head and, like, next year it'd be even better, chances are you're not going to see him next year. He's already offloaded his genetics, so taking him out as a slightly less mature animal because he's good enough for you for what you're looking for doesn't mean that his genetics aren't out there to help the the gene pool because he's probably bred. That which is a really interesting point if you think about it because his genetics don't reflect antler growth. No, in that his genetics aren't going to be better next year. If his antlers no. are better, it doesn't mean his genetics. No. So his genetics are good from day one, you know. Oh, there's other influences though, like environmental well, factors, mu- well, that's right, and diet right. and all that kind yeah. of thing. So yeah. that's right. Yes, and but genetics are genetics. Genetics are genetics. So but, I'm saying, well, I'm you... not going to shoot him because I just want him to keep. I just want him to keep breeding. Or hmm. you're saying, well, you know what? It's a relatively mature stag. It's a good-looking stag. It's probably bred already. The, magi- the genetics are already in the pool. Um, so, you know, there's that question. And then I know, for instance, you know, you made a good point about, you know, if you don't shoot it, others will. There was a – in the Mary Valley, one year I stalked, belly crawled for about a, an hour and a half to get onto a, what looked like a double six when I got within shooting range, I realized it was a double six, but it was broken. It was a, it, it split and it was a broken double six. So I said, no, nah, um, well, yeah, we'll leave it, let it go. It's a double six, but it's a broken double six. So I don't want to take it. Um, and, I'll, and you know, it was said to me 
good, you know, sure. But it probably won't be here next year because if it goes anywhere near the road, it's going to get cleft <laughs> and never saw that deer again. And that's what happened. And, you know, it might, some guy may have hunted it and, you know, and was, did a worthy hunt on it or someone might land out a car window and shot it with, you know, under the lights. You don't know. And that was private land. So to think on public land that, you know, that thing's going to be there for you next year is, that's pretty wishful thinking. So mm. I think, you know, as the opportunity presents itself, you really got to think about, should I take this opportunity? And I, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't point my finger at someone and say, you shouldn't take that opportunity. In fact, I recommend yeah. you take that opportunity because you learn from that opportunity. You learn from the process. Yeah. So next time you might go, well, no, I'm not going to shoot. That's great. You've come to that decision yourself rather than letting else, someone else, you know, make that decision for you. Yeah, well, I mean, I went on this weekend with. So the, when I was in the when I, you go, Matt, you go. I went on this weekend just past um, with other goals other than shooting deer. I'm lucky enough, my freezer's full. I don't really have a lot of room for it, but there were a couple of people that were coming along that were desperate to get some meat for Christmas. Um, one hadn't shot a deer before in state forest. One had taken one in his life. You know, it was a good opportunity to help out. Uh, and for me, you know, so I, I was able to be selective. I did carry a rifle in case something came along and the other guys weren't being successful and I was the only one to get a chance to get some meat into camp that I could share, then I would have done it. But it uh, turns out I didn't have to. Um, but on one of those days, um, uh, the, this this exact question popped up uh, in that uh, I was in the bush with the other two guys. Um, I was uh, looking, um, so I had Missy with me, the indicating dog, and I said to the guys, I'm just going to go and do a loop up around here and see if I can get any wind. And they stayed back. It just happened to be over a carcass that one of them had shot the day before. Oh, no, that morning. He took us into the, the area just to show us the area and see what was going on in there. So we located where he shot that animal and he recounted a saw it, which was pretty cool. And I just said, look, just hang out here. I'm going to zip up here, you know, 25, 30 metres, and I'm just going to see what else is I can catch on the wind. And um, as I did that... Um, right in front of me just over a ridge missy just pointed hard out down the hill and within probably 40 meters of me there's a beautiful red pine standing there but now for whatever reason i decided i wasn't going to carry my rifle that day so i wasn't in the position to shoot so here i am i've turned around to face the other guys who were butt assing around having a good time and chatting or whatever and I, I was whistling as loud as I could. And every time I whistled, I turned around and the deer hadn't noticed. The wind was perfect. And I'm whistling and I'm waving, like, come on, come on. And I just couldn't get their attention. I turn around and there's this beautiful red stag walking up behind this doe. And I just thought, oh, this hind. And I just thought, oh, how awesome is this guy? So he was in very soft, very soft velvet, you know, almost rubbery, cartoon-style rubbery. But he had some very nice things going on on that headgear. Um, and again, um, I don't think I would have shot it because I'm similar to Mark. I'm, I'm not really into shooting, you know, soft velvet stags because you can't mount that head. That 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 velvet in that state is going to just rot off. It, you know, you can't even inject that stuff and try and preserve it. It doesn't work. So, um, along with that stag, when I turned around and saw the stag, there were two other, three other hinds. So there were four hinds. And a stag. So there's a question we'll talk about this one in a minute, but I could not get their attention for all money. Um, and then finally I did, and I turned around. I had to yell at one of them, like, 
as quietly as I could yell, got his attention, and um, I turned around and they wandered off quietly. Now, to the point that we've been talking about before, I've been selecting an animal, I would never have shot that deer for two reasons. One I just spoke about, and the other one, there were, there were four other deer there that were perfectly good meat deer, and there was no need for me to go and shoot that stag for meat. So um, I think the further on you get in your hunting life, and the more animals you've taken, the more selective you allow yourself to be. But uh, as a new hunter, again, still, the, 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 the one that presents the best shot at the time would have been the one that probably fell over a few of the person standing in my shoes at that point. So, um, mm. so yeah, really cool experience. Uh, I've never in my life seen uh, a, a, a red stag in that antler growth state. Man, it looked cool. It looked really cool. So, yeah, fun experience. And I guess that goes back to what we spoke on a previous podcast was there seems to be a lot more reds in Bundle. Yes, it does. It's exciting. Very exciting. Um, it could be two two trips going there, March Where January. are they coming from? Yeah. Yeah, where are they coming Well, there's always been reds there. For the, I think one of the very first hunts I went on, one of the other guys shot a red um, not far from Ponderosa. Uh, but they've definitely spread out. Lots of them are hanging rock. Um, you know, the top end of Nundal, Tuggalo's always had them. So, yeah, they are thickening up. But my question about that... They're definitely more, pre definitely more pre prevalent. Yeah, yeah. And almost every other um, every other message that we get about successes in Nundal seems to be a red. It's a red than a fellow. It's a red than a fellow. There's, you know, a high percentage for sure. So my question about that, um, lots of theories about what stags do once they drop their antlers and go into growth regrowth mode this guy was with four hinds and you know a lot of people will stay say that those stags will disappear up into the mountains and live a fairly solitary life while they're growing out those antlers but he had four four hinds with him. i just thought that was quite interesting what to say you about that so my view on that is it's I wouldn't have expected the stag now to be holding hinds, from my experience. I think usually the stags are mobbing up together, more bachelor herds. Um, Not after the, early oh, for the stags be rounding up the hinds. But I think, I think Nundal's just a bit different. I don't think the stags and the reds in there are exhibiting normal behaviour. I think it's a new environment for them. I know you say they've been there, but I think it's they've been few and far between. Mm. And I think they're just sticking together is what I think. I think it's just, it's not your typical behavior, but they're just hanging around. That's, that's my view on it. I think they're coming from the east, heading west, and I think the rain in the last few years of conditions have allowed them to travel. Mm. I remember when we were in, um, we were in Narrabri in 2018, so right in the middle of the dry, and we were talking to the one of the locals in Narrabri, and he said, one of the expectations was when this drought breaks, the deer will turn up in Pilliga. And he said, basically, yeah. the, the the dry is keeping them away. Then they they can't move, they can't migrate. Just they need to migrate from you know water and food sources. So my feeling is they're coming from the east. Um, uh, so that you know, that's where I think they're coming from. I think they're 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 always there. I just think they're coming in bigger numbers. And I think 
Um, also, the fact that there's been so so many good years, they're bred up, and probably mm. they don't. You know, breeding's an interesting thing. So, if there's more breeding animals, you're going to get more animals. If the conditions are good, more animals are going to survive. So, that means there's more animals, and then you know, so on and so forth. So, I think we're seeing that. And I wonder if in a couple of years when it's really dry again, we don't start, you know, we see less reds. We can't answer that. Um, won't know until the, you know, to, um, to that, um, to that happens. In terms of the behavior, my feeling is it's very difficult to judge animal behavior by looking at one particular circumstance. Hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure I've seen fallow and red together. Um, most people say that that's wrong. They don't do that. I'm pretty sure one of them was a red. I've seen that. Could be yeah. wrong. Um, but I could. I but I couldn't say that fallow and red travel together because, you know, I think I've saw a red with some fallow. Okay, that's that's about as best I could. So it's hard to say why that stag was with those hinds. Um, it's you know, and I think you can only kind of. Um, you know, kind of fall back onto what you, you know, what the the prevailing wisdom is until the prevailing wisdom is proven otherwise. Mm. You know, that's the whole thing. You know, that's how we learn. So if, so I don't know why that stag was there. You know, it might be, it might have just been just, coincidence. It might have been at that moment. They might have all been yeah. feeding on a real. There might have been, you know, fifty meters from there. There may have been this beautiful patch of clover, and they're just it's there. Weird. And so when you saw them, they were just there together. Mm. Or it might have been that they are specifically together. I can't really tell. And, and you know, and the more I thought about it, because Ian kind of put this question to me um, a couple of days ago, the more I thought about it, I, thought, I can't give you an answer because it's just not enough data. No, there isn't. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't disregard that it happened. Um, I don't think, I mean, I've seen, you know, certain animal behavior that doesn't make sense, but, you know, that's only because I'm, and think about it, you know, I don't know, I'm not a deer biologist, you know, I, I don't know that much about them. Um, I know, I've, I don't understand why uh, two years ago um, there was a deer next to my truck when I walked up to it. I, don't, I can't tell you, <laughs> but it was, and I shot it. But so, you know, so I, I don't know. So I, I'm sorry, I can't give you a reason. Um, yeah, I don't know. Cool. I have a slightly different theory that I'll throw out there. And I think I mentioned yeah. this to Mark, uh, sort of yeah. slightly different to yours, Jono. Um, I agree that they bachelor up after the after the rut and the raw, after the raw. Both, both, both breeds will do it. But reds, they'll bachelor up until they drop their heads and then they disappear. They don't stay mobbed up after they go into antler regrowth because they end up donking each other's bloody antler growth and they, they cause issues in growth so my the theory that i've read and and listens to is that uh, that stag goes back to his um where is where he was born to his birth mother and siblings and that's where he hangs out basically hangs out in that location until he's grown antlers and then he goes on the march back to wherever the harem is that he's going to round up for the rut or the raw um, and that just stops them fighting. Also, him moving away from that family unit stops into breeding. It's just nature's way of handling that. And I feel like I've mm. heard that a couple of mm. times and read it, uh, whether there's truth to it. Again, I'm not the biologist either, but I think it's a fairly cool theory. 
um, that that's the behaviour of red stags. Uh, and um, he was back with his sibling unit in you know the area that he was born some years ago. That's just the way that I understood it and the way I explained it um, to what I knew anyway to the guys that were in the camp. So it, it, it helped me understand that theory a bit more. But um, regardless of what the right answer mm. is, mm. very, very cool to see it. I was, I was, I mean, even, you know, I probably, oh, had, yeah. I probably had 30 to 45 seconds of good solid staring at this magnificent animal um, in between turning around and yelling obscenities at the two fellas behind me. One of them was making elk phone calls. Um, he, he got uh, he, he bought an elk caller from Apex. He's, he had this elk caller, um, and he was making little uh, fawn noises with it. And it was actually really good. I enjoyed like the using little, those little, 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 things. little oh. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, apparently, it's um, been known to yeah. attract um, does and pines, so it was worth a shot. Yeah, mm. so that was cool. That was a good experience. Worth trying. I mean, I, I've, I've certainly noticed, you know, that kind of intergenerational behaviour in other... I mean, like, generally, like, if you hunt goats, you'll depending on the time of the cycle, of course, but you'll, you'll often see, like, a nanny, and they might have one or two, or sometimes three, but generally one or two real little kids you know, very small goats, and then mm. there'll be, like, a juvenile, which I think is, like, the last breeding cycle's goat. So there's, like, there'll be, a, you know, there'll be a, a, a generational gap there within that family unit. And you can, I suppose you can assume that at least one, if not two, of the other juvenile siblings have died they didn't make it, so there's one sibling that's that's made it, and it's with you know it's uh, its mother, and then you've got these other newborns that are with their mother too, and when you know when they when when they breed with the billies and the different behaviour, when that that you get that um you get them in big mobs when they start to really mob up you'll see a whole kind of range of generations within those mobs of the the matriarchal mob, the ones that are usually run by, you know, a, a, a dominant female. But when you look at the billies, they're nearly all exactly the same. So, and, I've, and I thought, well, if that's the billy mob, is there like another billy mob out there that's bigger billies? You know, or do they get to a certain stage where and they don't mob up anymore they kind of go their own way so it's interesting i mean it's and it's all animal behavior and you only you know other than study and and know about these things you know from a professional point of view it's all observational but i mean last time i saw a billy mob they, they were like you know they're carbon copies of each other there mm -hmm. wasn't a difference in horns amongst them that you could tell and i remember i saw a billy mob once and they all almost had exactly the same colour scheme and they had this really weird antler, a uh, horn shape, where it was that one's where they go straight up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for whatever reason, all of them had this horn structure and they were all pretty much the same. But they were there's too many of them to be a single family. You know, there was like about 20 of them. You know, yeah, I, but the same, the same belly could have covered how many nannies. Yeah, but you, but they would have all been had to have been born at the same time because they were all about the same size. 
So, you know, yeah, that, that would have yeah. been one very pro- prolific Billy. <laughs> we want to find that bloke because he knew what he was yeah. doing. Um, you know, this would mean, so they were like all the, the bachelor males were all the same age or same same size within reason, but they were all the same, very same similar colour scheme and all had this very, very distinctive um, horn growth. So you thought, how did that happen? You know, was there... You know, surely that can't be one Billy. You know, is that, and how did that happen within that, you know, very short period of time that they're all born at a very similar age, a similar time? So I think it's really, it's interesting that, you know, I, I mean, I love doing this. I love speculating about why animals do what mm. they do. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You were going to say something, Johnny? Yeah, one of the... the... Uh, I was, and this was a while ago, I was going to say when we were talking about shooting young you know young deer if you've got a um a hind or a doe with um dependent young when i was trained in the uk as part of my deer course we were always told to shoot the dependent young first Mm. that you're not you're not orphaning it um and obviously that's that's what we were taught was um if you shoot the um if you shoot the the doe or the hind first there's the potential that the young one will run off it will probably stay close to its mother but we were we were always told to shoot the, the dependent young first because if something happens, then it's not going to be orphaned. Yeah, uh, from an ethical point of view, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty pretty important. Well, I think isn't that what they do in Scandinavian countries with the moose? There was some, I think it was Gemma, and one of them was telling us that you know it's okay to actually shoot. They'd prefer that if moose come, you you drop the young one because it's yeah. dead, so it doesn't it's get food. orphaned. That's it. Yeah. It's done. The, the mother will, will will rebreed probably. There'll be another one. Yeah. But if you, you shoot avoid the mother, orphaning. you've got this problem. You've got this 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 secondary problem of now you've got potentially two dead moose. One we're not going to recover. So that's a um, yeah. That's a that's uh, I think that's a, that that makes a lot of sense. But then in the UK they do have game seasons. Deer are classed as game. Yeah, and you can't shoot them in specific breeding season, especially when they're dropping. Um, so it is slightly different to here. Um, if you're shooting deer now, uh, especially hinds or does, you need to accept that there's potential, mm. that there's a fawn. Um, not every hind or doe is going to have a fawn. Um, that could be dry, but you need to accept that there might be, and that needs to play into, you know, if you're if you're an ethical hunter, whether you're actually prepared to potentially orphan. But yeah, there's a motorbike going past. Very quickly. Um, and, that's, and that's something you need to accept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, except except like you might or except that you should. Here. So, I think it's it's up to the individual. For me, pretend, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shoot a doe or a hind now because I think there's a high expectation that she will have a fawn. Um, I will shoot one. Um, and I, I did a cull a few weeks ago where the expectation was that they were all pregnant, and that was you know what we were there for was to remove deer off the landscape. This was a it was a you know a cattle property and the farmer didn't want deer on because we've you know at the time we were experiencing some really dry conditions and he wanted deer removed so by shooting a hind or a doe you're you've got a, you know you've got a high chance of actually taking two off the landscape because you know you're expecting it to be pregnant but once there's actually it's actually dropped i think from an ethics point of view me personally i'm not going to shoot um I'll, I'll wait it out until that that fawn's a few months old and it can actually potentially survive on its own um, that's my ethical point of view. I know from in a Queensland perspective, with um, deer being classed as feral pests, we're supposed to shoot them, and 
you know, if we shoot the mother now, we'll, we'll probably kill that form. But for me, it's not a very nice way for the form to die. I, I don't like it. That's just my ethical perspective. Mm. Hence why I don't really, I don't hunt those or, or, or hinds now. Well, hmm. I, I, I stop. I don't generally hunt deer now because it's too hot. Uh, well, that plays and, into and, it. Uh, but, and in the but, fact that I don't want, I don't want to, the meat prep becomes an issue now. Hmm. Well, there in is January, going back to that's when you start culling. Yeah, well, the end of January, you can start culling stags because they're getting into hard, hard velvet, mm. um, hard antler. Um, and you can then see, you know, they've grown significantly that you can actually tell whether it's potentially a cull or not. So I think end of January, start shooting cull stags or stags. Um, but I'm certainly not going to shoot those or hands in December, January. Right. So here's an interesting one. What does Moonface have on this all? What is what what? What do you what does Moonface have, have on have on the um influence of deer or game animals? Well And the my, reason I say this is because uh yeah, go ahead. Sure. My my experience is that uh when the moon is full bright, the deer are less likely to come out of cover. No, I don't mean so. Okay, so that's at night time moon phase. But what about if it's just the full moon moon phase? What effect do you think that does it have an, on the animal throughout the day as well as into the evening? So I'm, I mean, you know, it, the full moon just because it's the full moon just doesn't appear at night. Um, you know, it's a full moon phase. Well, I, my feeling on that is. If it's a full moon at night, the deer are going to be out feeding later at night because they have vis better visibility. They can see whether mm. there's any predators coming. They're going to feed more at night, and they're potentially not going to be active at first light when we're generally out hunting them. They could potentially, by that point, be, you know, bedded up, ruminating, um, you know, chewing, you know, chewing the cud. Um, that that's my view on it. They're feeding more at night when uh, because they can see predators coming. They get better visib visibility. Really, really um, interesting. I think during the day, no. Yeah, I don't think during the day does it have a specific impact, no, but I think because the night is impact, it has a follow-on into the day. Okay. The reason I ask that... is that bore that I picked up on the trail camera, um, that particular trail camera that picked, picked up that bore twice actually gives you the moon phase in the data below, and both times it picked it up, it was a full moon phase. It's in the daytime, but it was a full moon phase. And so I'm thinking, okay, what is that? What, what's, what's going on there? Was it a phase apart, or were the yeah? Because those, those cameras, those cameras up there for seven, up for seven weeks, are up there. Mm. But they're They might come out after midnight. Well, I know maybe the yeah. mudjacks with the fangs. Um, but you just don't, you just don't. <laughs> I just don't see deer uh, out when you, you know, spotlighting for me um, in full main phase. They're just not there. It's, it's in my mm. diary. Well, I mean, there's, you know, that, that, that exists, that, that argument exists in fishing. You know, some people think that fish are more active in the full moon phase. Some people think the fish are less active in the full moon phase. Um, one, they think they're act, more active because of greater tidal movement. Some people say, yeah, but more light. So they're more, more wary of predators. So they are less active. So, yeah. Again, I, I don't know, but I did notice that on that those trial, that one particular trial cam that picked up the pig a couple of times, 
over a, a you know seven week period, both times it picked up the pig was the, the little in the bottom corner was a little picture of the full moon. And I checked the date, and it was yeah, it was. So it was a it was a. So I'm wondering what's going on. We need an animal behavioralist to come and join us to talk. Mm, to us we do. Yeah, that would be cool. I'd like to understand. Because it wasn't that that those. That pig wasn't picked up at night. It was in in the afternoon, but that's it was moving. It was only on a full moon. It only seen the moving. Well, I only moved past that camera on a full moon, full mm. moon phase. Interesting. Very interesting. Mm, was strange enough that pig was on camera about a hundred meters, actually probably less in direct line of sight, but let's say a hundred meters and four years apart from the last big bore I took. Because the last big bore I took was almost there, that monster one. Yeah, and that was that was just below where that pig was, and that big monster was going in that direction that that pig on the camera was heading. So yeah, very strange. Um, so you know, they're obviously a resident boar. Uh, it's I'm pretty sure I know where it's coming from. It's coming from a dam, but I don't know where it's going. And I don't know why it's only doing it on a full moon. But very close to where I shot one four years ago. Well, no way you're going to be in next full moon, hanging out by your camera. Well, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to try and get, I'm going to try and get up there on a full moon and get in there in the afternoon um, and try and get in position. Uh, the wind is crap this time of year because it's prevailingly easterly, so it really cuts down your opportunity. Mm. Um, in that, unfortunately, that place where that pig is is not a good place for an easterly. Well, it's great for the pig, <laughs> not for it, for you. It's, it's a really crappy place for an easterly, and we're, you know prevailing easterlies. Um, yeah. But yeah, so interesting to see. Um, I've got the camera back up there. I didn't, I didn't move the camera. Oh, I, I adjusted slightly, but I kept it there because I wanted to see what was. Um, uh, if, if it came back again. So I took the memory card out. So interesting. Though, strange enough, the other places where I thought there was pigs for sure, there was no pigs, which, you know, again, it's quite interesting. You think, oh, yeah, this this is it. This is where they're being. Not a skerrick. Where I didn't think, you know, where I didn't consider seeing one, that's where they're at. So Much deer sign? Uh, only a little bit. And uh, all nocturnal. Hmm. Uh, I, I set up two. Um, I set up two trail cams on quite open ground because I saw lots of deer sign on that open ground. But you know, you know, open ground's a challenge with the trail camera. Um, and uh, got only a, a very little bit of deer sign on one of the trail cams. One of the had no deer sign at all, and it was all nocturnal, and it was a spiker. And I think it was the same spike. I think it was just bothering in that, that area over a few nights. New question for you. So I saw this, this on in other other locations, but not that. So the, I've moved the cameras kind of towards the east of the block, see if I can try and bracket where the deer are. Yes, mate. Is there an animal that runs around in the bush that hoovers up and eats deer poo? Something follows around the deer in the state forest and eats all their poo. I'm convinced of this because I find, you know, all the sign in the world, footprints, habitat, everything, and no poo. What eats their poo? 
there's something going on here. I've never heard that one before. Well, you know, young, be just, young Beatles. But there's not anyway. Well, I just thought I, I'd ask I don't. So the only thing that I really regard as fresh is is turd. Is what what? Because you know you can see a print and it could be turd. Is what I oh, yeah. regard yeah. as fresh sign. I don't think so I saw any. Line. So if there's a print there, if there's a print there, you kind of go, yeah, okay. But generally, that stuff, you know, you, you can, you can. Um, that's a sign of fresh stuff. So, hmm. so okay. if there's no turd, I was, I would assume that that there's no real fresh sign going through there because it's, you know, it's the thing that breaks down the quickest. We did all, we, like the oh, whole thing under be yeah. seen, it lost mm. in the layers of undergrowth. Only dog. I think so. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Dogs page. will eat deer poo. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, that's a lot of dogs <laughs> chomp a lot of dogs. <laughs> yeah, but if dogs will eat it, there must be other things that eat it. Well, dogs, no. are, oh, do, no, dogs, dogs are poo mm. eaters. That's why whenever I see people mm -hmm. kissing their dogs, maybe like, there's something too that's made them a little mm. in Nundawa. Uh, we saw, I think, collectively about six or seven red bellies, so they were very active in the area. Um, but we got one animal on the ground uh, about 8 a.m. Now we got one animal on the ground about 5 p.m. Now the days got up to 38 to 39. The nights didn't get that cool. You know, they probably got down to, I don't know, low 20s, I guess. And it does pose an issue in Nundal, especially in well, Nundal and other hot places around preserving meat. Uh, I've never seen so many bloody flies in Nundal in my life. Usually it's cold, there's no flies. Um, there were thousands and thousands of blowflies. As soon as you had any scrap of blood anywhere, you were attacked by flies and you were attacked by leeches. They just came from everywhere. I thought the leeches would have been just a wet thing, but no, they, you know, they're everywhere. So it was a bit of a challenge. Mm. Um, so my, my tips for those that are considering, there's quite a few people listening at the moment that have got trips next week, the trips the week after, there's trips the week after that, lots of people heading that way. Um, uh, here's my two uh, observations and tips for you if you shoot uh, deer while you're there. So I'll start with the morning. My my opinion is that if you shoot an animal in the morning, then you should be prepared to take the standard butcher's cuts and get the hell out of there as fast as you can. And I mean whip the backs off, whip the fronts off, take the back straps, do it the gutless method, forget about everything else, get that mm. stuff into your pack and protect it from the flies, and get it on ice and leave it on ice until the flies go away after dark. Then get them back out again and, and do the, the, the strip down of the skin and uh, and breaking the meat up. That, that would be my recommendation. Otherwise, you're just going to lose meat to maggots. It's just going to, they're just going to blow on it. Right? There's nothing you can do about it. So that's my recommendation for a morning shot because it's only going to get warmer. Um, takes most people a, a, an hour to take an animal once they've shot it. And have it prepped and packed out some people take longer some a bit less but you know there's an hour by the time you muck around and take your show, your photos and bits and pieces and get ready to go right um, now if you're doing the same thing but in the evening um, so we uh, carried this one out completely whole so you could do exactly what i've just said and do it you know uh, in the evening but in the evening because it was cooling down a lot faster we had the opportunity to take the whole animal out um, we were expecting to do that, so we had a doona cover to wrap the animal in, um, and we had game bags and other bits and pieces, but we just used the, the single doona cover. Um, and we were able to gut that thing out 
move the carcass away from the gut pile and left the gut pile to the flies and there were just thousands thousands of flies that showed up and then just get that thing into the into your game bag or doona cover as it was uh, and we're able to pack it out to the car um, once we got back to camp we hung that thing in the tree made sure no flies could get in around it but because all you've done is gut it you've still got um, skin on all the meat areas other than the tenderloins on the inside um, there's no way the flies can get to the meat they might get into the cavity if you're unlucky they might get into the cavity but you're not eating much that's in there anyway um, you could strip the tenderloins out if they're in good condition well before you hang it up if you want to but um, there's an opportunity there to hang it up and then make more of the carcass than just take the good old um, hunter's cuts off right so we did that we hung it we hung it for an hour and a half in the cooling down uh, temperatures and then butchered it up once the flies had buggered off uh, and then we only had the mosquitoes to deal with so it was easy um, anyway my my um my tips for summer anyway from uh, from what we've just been through yeah i, I agree with the morning I, I i um i tend to if i'm going to take meat this time of year i'll take it in the morning and i and i won't be too i won't be too fast i'll be just taking uh, hind quarters four quarters and back straps and yep. um keeping the skin on it getting it in a game bag because i can by the time i carry it back to camp or the car, or um, wherever you know, wherever I parked up, it'll have some chance to cool down a little bit. Loose and generally, I will probably drop it in an esky, and then put it into the car fridge, mm. and and won't even touch it again until I get home. And it's you know, it's hardened up and all that kind of stuff. That's it. Get it. Get it. Get. It. And I I started doing this esky fridge method because what i found was it would melt the ice in the esky in this time of year the the, the heat still retained in the in the meat would when or in the in the carcass or the parts of the carcass were, was enough to melt ice yeah so it was ice then car fridge and if i put it straight in the car fridge you'd watch the temperature go into car fridge you know go up to the 20s it punch it right up the amount mm. of heat that was retained in that in that in that uh, in that carcass was phenomenal. So yeah, yeah, uh, I certainly then into so. We so certainly don't want to be carcass. It might be have yeah have, have two kind of the uh, you know uh, maybe even two eskies put in one and then put in the second one once it's cooled right off because I mean you just could not get rid of the heat. So, um, yeah, ours was dumped in the esky and, just, and, on that, and the ice uh, melted on, exactly like you said. Yeah. But mm. the next day we did the 35-kilometre yeah. run to Nundle to do a restock and it, you know, preserves it. You don't always have that opportunity. But uh, in that case, again, you that's know... That's right, you start up that and that's right. Yeah, we were right up the top. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Johnny. I was going to say, what I also do is I carry block ice. I don't use the yeah. normal... Um, server ice I make block ice because it, it lasts a lot longer mm. um, so I actually get big 10 liter I've got those 10 liter Coles um, water jugs that you can buy oh, yeah. that I've actually taken use the water uh, refill those and then I chuck them in the deep freeze mm. like a week before I go because they big block 10 kilo block ice um, and then I use three or four of those in the esky and then I top that up with um, normal standard servo ice and then I can drain that water out, but that block ice will last a week. I was, and it just I, retains. I was doing similar with um, two-liter milk bottles. 
Yeah. Mm. I just use the 10 liters. I find they last a long, lot longer. Yeah. And they stack nicely. They've got a handle on them. And, and you can just stack them in your SQ. And they last a lot longer. Mm. Well, did you, put, did you put salt in them? Lock. You could do a slurry, but I generally just fill them with water. Mm. Yeah. Slurry is supposed to be better. Yeah. It's supposed to hold temperature. So, so yeah, it's water, supposed to last longer. Yeah. Supposedly, will last longer, yeah. Mm. yeah. But that's what I do. I use block eyes. Mm. Um, I mean, look how well it works up at Fraser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we won't go into that. <laughs> uh, uh, so another cool thing happened while we were there, right? So this is an interesting one. Uh, I told Mark about this, but John, you haven't heard it yet. So uh, mm. Dave... Dave came out and we we came out with me and we shot uh, a yearling, would have been a yearling hind, doe, doe, yearling doe, fellow, and um, we brought it back and just followed that process that I just spoke about, and then we dropped the carcass over the back of this log pile behind camp, um, and probably should have taken it a little bit further because the wind changed on us, and after a couple of sunny days, it was a little bit smelly, but. Anyway, um, the morning of the the morning of the Sunday, I think it was Sunday. Maybe it was Saturday. The morning of the anyway, the, one of the mornings we went out there and the carcass was everything was still there, and we went off hunting and came back. And uh, Dave and I got back first, and Derek got back a little bit after us. And he said, "Oh, it's really interesting. I found a deer carcass about a kilometer from camp." And then about 400 metres down further, he found um, a leg, a front a front leg of a deer. Well, we looked at the carcass photos and it had a reciprocating saw cut off the neck and a reciprocating saw cutting off <laughs> of the pelvis. So it wasn't it wasn't a natural death. Mm-hmm. It was a Dave sliced to bits deer carcass. So during the day while we were out hunting, we suspect wild dog, or dogs have come in and taken the entire carcass mm. on the way back to the den, and you know, um, and Derek has disturbed those animals somewhere along his hunt, and they've dropped the carcass and run off, taking the front leg that was all jellied from being shot, or just the pressure, uh, about mm. you know three or four hundred meters further down the track that he bumped into a little bit. That is a hell of a long way to be dragging a deer carcass. And mm-hmm. actually bump into it again. That's pretty cool, though. Well, we didn't know it was ours. We were just like, oh, that's really interesting. It's pretty new. And then we started looking at the finer details. And mm-hmm. um, you'll see in, a, in the video later on, um, I showed Dave how to um, to skin off the rib flap to roll up for a rolled roast. We could only do it mm-hmm. on one side because the other side was all messy. Um, so in the photo that Derek took, there was one side that was messy and one side that was stripped off. So it was 100% it was the right one. Um, so, yeah, just cool that. We had these visitors during the day to cool. come and raid it. Very cool. It wasn't a scrap mm. of the gut pile left. And we're only talking a few hours. Yeah, well, I, I find that birds take care of all of that, the gut pile too. Mm. Um, yep. I set, a, I set mm. a camera on a on a carcass up in Brisbane Valley, and it was bird, most of the, the. In fact, the birds eventually moved the carcass when they, you know, got they just started. They didn't move at any great distances, but you know you could see it on the camera. It was it was moving from the birds and stuff like that. Mm. Um, they they really got into the gut pile. I remember I was, once we were hunting for pigs, and we spotted this you know lump on the ground and, and looked at it and went, oh, it's a cow. It's you know down, and you know, it looked dead even at distance. And we we're kind of going, eh, 
it's dead. But then you could see it it was moving. You were going, what's going on up here? So it can proceed to come ever closer. And when we got within a fairly close range, its pig appeared from the inside of this cow. No, nice. It literally uh -huh. eaten its way in and was uh, eating its way around the inside of this cow. And I was like, so this thing, you know, it was just going chomp, 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 chomp. So it doesn't surprise me that dogs or probably and probably dogs would just grab a, a deer carcass and and mm. run with it and try and take it to a um especially one that's all smashed up and broken so there's not there's no work from it's like ice cream you've done all the hard work from so mm. take it back to either their den or just just to take it away that it's a place that was safer they felt safer for them to eat it mm. really that 1080 program worked very well then well, if you have a look, well, not, not that we're going to give away where we were, um, and uh, the, one of the locations that we were, it wasn't a 1080 drop zone. There's a clue. It was or it wasn't? It wasn't. Oh, okay. And you know that they're Different reasonably chances, accurate. They're, they're not airdropped. Um, yeah, proper, they put the little flag up. up. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they're properly done. They're not just carpet bombs. Yeah. Yep. So they're able to tell you exactly what um, I remember in Pilliga right up there in the north end of Pilliga where it uh, goes back in the National Park. Along the fence line, there was all the little little flags that they put in that there's a bait around. Yep. I relied on that because I had my dog with me and I had her off leash. No, oh, yeah. Not that oh, she yeah. picked the baits up. She's not that. She doesn't just go and scavenge for food, so I'm pretty lucky there, but uh, it's always a concern. Um, probably one of the other tips I'll give to people that are going there over the next few weeks, if you are going, is the observations outside of the normal early morning and last light um, timeframes for, for, for spotting deer. Uh, I think it's reasonably well known, um, but certainly we observed it that sort of around that um, three o'clock period, uh, the deer seemed to get up, have a chew, have a have a water and bed back down again. So there was a bit of activity around mm. that time. So it's worth being out there for that, even though it's going to be stinking hot, and then just having a, a relax for a couple of hours while you wait for that sort of magic hour to come by. That's um, so a bit of a tip that we've picked up. Um, yeah, so that was good. I mean, like, again, about behaviour, after hunting goats for a number of years, as Severn, actually, because we hunted Severn, I've got eight, eight, nine years in a row. We 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 ended up saying goats keep bankers hours, you know. Yeah, it's great. They get up before nine and they go to bed at three type thing, you know. So this, yeah. you know, oh, let's go wide. Yeah, I can so tell you. Know. I can tell you that right after eight, the guys rolled right into eight. camp at eleven thirty at night and we stayed up for a couple of hours having a yarn, um, I got three hours sleep before the four thirty alarm went off. Summer hunting is harder. For the heat and the long daylight hours, mm. you get way less sleep. Um, but, yeah, it's part of the deal. Um, I've got um, a couple of gear updates from the trip, if you're interested. Oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. cool. I'll start with these because you've got them already. Uh, Jono, you asked when I talked uh, about the LRFs. The, so these are the Steiner Predator 8 LRFs. Mm. Um, um, you asked what their weight was like. They are on the slightly heavy side, but I mm. didn't really notice it too much until after about the second hour of the sit when I started getting a bit, I'll just put the binos over here for a while. I think I've had enough glassing for now, but I have end, ended up just resting them on the, on the tripod. 
just using them that way. So yes, there's a bit more weight in them than my my other ones, um, but the quality of them is so much nicer. It's um it's really good. And probably the one of the main things that I really enjoyed, even over top of the range finding capabilities, is the little eye caps. It makes them so comfortable to look through for long periods of time. You're not getting all mm. that light. So I was really impressed with those. If you're looking for binos, check them out. They're pretty cool. That's as, as much as I'm going to say on, on that one. Um, I was using the AP13 Infiray Thermal. This is their entry-level thermal. Um, it looks like just about every thermal vendor out there has a thermal that looks like this shape. It's that, you know, to traditional monocular shape. They all seem to have one. I don't know if they're all rebadged or not. Um, but um, Dave had one of these from a couple of years ago that he paid quite a lot more than this one's worth. And he compared both of these, and we mm. both compared them, you know, eye to eye. Um, and he was quite impressed with the quality and sharpness of the image out of the Infiray product. I think um, Hikmoko, Hikmoko, is that the other brand? Um Yep, Micro. Hikmoko, yep, yep. yeah. So he had a Hikmoko one, which was, I think yeah. he probably said he paid three times more than what this one's worth. So it's two, three generations old, mind you. Even the one generation behind this yep. one that we tried last year, this is significantly better. Um, what I can say about this, it's it's not as good as the $4,000 one that I've also got that I'm looking at. But as far as state forest hunting goes, your range is quite short. You're only talking about... 150 to 200 max in almost everywhere that you go in in the state forest and this is perfect for that it does a great job out to that distance yeah and it was really good just to see the birds the ruse the everything that was going around there while we're sitting around waiting so value for money i think i saw online they're about 800 bucks for an entry level one i think it's worth a look um it's a good yeah, size to put I in my can't agree. yeah there's this been a you know it's, we we're getting that wonderful uptick from technology where it gets better and cheaper every yeah. time the generations come out it gets better and cheaper and um, I remember I know because you know the Boris the the V two compared to the V one is is remarkably you know remarkable improvement so um, yeah you're getting and again certainly there is an op there is a time and a place for a twenty three thousand dollar thermal yeah but having a monocular like that can make your hunting you know again you it's kind of your ability to scout and observe open ground and determine if there's is or isn't anything in front of you which is really it's just as important it's pretty hard to go past those kind of entry-level style um monoculars they just come in so handy yeah i mean i'm yeah. i carry that boris yeah. all the time for that reason other thing about the um, LRFs, um, how did you find the eye relief in terms of using them over a period of time? Did you get eye strain? No, not a bit. No, but my... I, 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 so I reckon it's those eye caps. Yeah, I think it's the eye caps. The eye caps, they they, they, yeah. they, they just block out all of that unnecessarily light, unnecessary light yeah. and your eye is not trying to focus in yeah. weird places. I noticed, it's funny, I... I was just going to say, this is how much of a gearhead I am. Um, my other binos, I thought, were um, were were eights, not tens, but they're actually tens. Um, so it seems that I've been using mm -hmm. ten power ones for quite some time anyway. 
I just assumed they were smaller power because um, these are such, you know, quite a lot larger, but that's purely because they've got the rangefinder built in, so they're a longer binocular. Um, but the ones that I, I have been using are very similar, so no, I was quite used to it. Um, in fact, I think I got probably less eye strain because the clarity was so much nicer. Um, yeah. Again, I if I probably took the other ones out and I wiped the blood and grit and shit off the lenses, it would probably be pretty good too. Um, but I haven't. So, but no, they're mm-hmm. good. I really enjoyed using them. Yeah. Last piece. Yeah, I find that with the Steiners that that I keep. I reckon it does help with eye strain or, or limits eye strain over a period of time because you're just not you're not getting competing light. Yeah, yeah. You, I think you're in your eyes. Mm. Yep. Mm. Headphone update. We all remember oh, the okay. oh, headphones. Yeah. How did they go? Well, Matt Clark, pretty well, to be fair. Um, so I wasn't using Bluetooth music while I was in the park, so that didn't matter. Um, I wore them all day for every day, ready to go, ready to shoot, or ready to be around someone that was shooting. Um, the earbuds are comfortable. Um, I didn't feel like I was getting sore ears like you do when you wear some headphones all the time. So yeah. in terms of comfort goes, they've got a quite a range of earbuds that you can pick and choose from. So um, you're able to get a really good fit. Uh, and uh, yeah, like I said, they were comfortable all day. Uh, I used the, when I was on the sit, sit spots i turned on the noise enhancing and you could just hear so much it was really nice just to get that right all the stuff that you probably couldn't hear before um was just coming through loud and clear you could hear little things you could hear leaves dropping you could hear all sorts of things so it was kind of cool to use them so i rate them as far as hearing protection and noise enhancing goes and noise cancelling goes so that's all then that's all you want out of a set of hunting um plugs i guess the funny thing was uh i'm gonna have to boil the earbuds out but i i gave them to dave i let dave use them um if you met dave seems like he's gone deaf uh so when you're sitting on a stand together and you're like hey, dave, and he's like whoa see dave. Ah? <laughs> hear you. Yeah. i'd buy them again now i won't be sending them back that's good cool good to know and what's the brand? The, the Axel, is that right? Your Axel. Yeah, I should remember what they're called, but yeah. you'll go onto the Axel website and you'll see the, the headphone mm. earbuds that look like this. For, for those listening, yeah. they're, they're earbuds with a hook over the ear and they've got controls for Bluetooth on one side and noise enhancing and cancelling on the other. Um, they're on a, on, a, on a cord that clips to the back of your collar, which stops you from losing them. So, yeah, no, they're good. Quite like them. Yeah. All right, John. Anything from you? No, I think I'm pretty good. I think we've covered. It's been a good chat. We have. Well, yeah. Yep. I'm about done. What about you, Ian? I think I'm done. There's heaps I could talk about about the trip, but it'll come up. It'll come up in other sideline conversations, no doubt. Okay, let's wrap this. Wrap it up. Put a bow on it. Stick it on the tree. See if someone picks up for Christmas. Very good. What is that time of year? It is. Cool. Well, thanks, gents. Bye, mate. Okay, guys. Catch us. See you, guys.